Chapter 13 of Police Your Planet by Lester Del Rey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 Arrest Mayor Wayne. The legal forces were short handed and eager for recruits. They had struck quickly, according to plans made by experts on Earth, and now controlled about half of Marsport. But it was a sprawling crescent around the central section, harder to handle than the municipal territory. Bruce Gordon was sworn in at once. Then he cooled his heels while the florid, paunchy ex-politician commissioner Crane worried about his rating and repeated how corrupt Mars was and how the collection system was over, absolutely over. In the end, he was given a captain's pay and the rank of sergeant. As a favor, he was allowed to share a beat with Honest Izzy under Captain Hendricks, who had simply switched sides after losing the morning's battle. Gordon's credits were changed to legal script, and he was issued a trim-fitting green uniform. Then a surprisingly competent doctor examined his wound, rebandaged it, and sent him home for the day. The change was finished and he felt like a grown man playing with dolls. He walked back, watching the doll-looking people closing off their homes, as they had done at elections. Here and there, houses had been broken into during the night. There were occasional buzzes of angry conversation that cut off as he approached. Marsport had learned to hate all cops, and a change of uniform hadn't altered that. Instead, the people seemed to resent the loss of the familiar symbol of hatred. He found Izzy and Randolph at the restaurant across from Mother Corey's. Izzy grinned suddenly at the sight of the uniform. I knew it, Governor. Knew it the minute I heard Jurgens was a cop. Did you make him give you my beat? He seemed genuinely pleased as Gordon nodded and then dropped it to point to Randolph. Guess what, Governor? The legals bought Randy's Crusader, traded him an old job press and a bag of scratch for his reputation. You'll be late, Izzy, Randolph said quietly. Gordon suddenly realized that Randolph, like everyone else, seemed to be Izzy's friend. He watched the little man leave and reached out for the menu. Randolph picked it out of his hand. You've got a wife home, muckraker. You don't have to eat this filth. Gordon got up, grimaced at the obvious dismissal. But the publisher motioned him back again. Yeah, the legals want the crusader for their propaganda, he said wearily. New slogans and new uniforms, and none of them mean anything. Here, he drew a small golden band from his little finger. My mother's wedding ring. Give it to her, and if you tell her it came from me, I'll rip out your guts. He got up suddenly and hobbled out, his pinched face working. Gordon turned the ring over, puzzled. Finally, he got up and headed for his room, a little surprised to find the door unlocked. Sheila opened her eyes at his uniform, but made no comment. Food ready in ten minutes, she told him. She'd already been shopping, 
and had installed the tiny cooking equipment used in half Marsport. There was also a small iron laying beside a pile of his laundered clothes. He dropped onto the bed wearily, then jerked upright as she came over to remove his boots. But there was no mockery on her face, and oddly, it felt good to him. Maybe her idea of married life was different from his. She was sanding the dishes and putting them away when he finally remembered the ring. He studied it again, then got up and dropped it beside her. He was surprised as she fumbled it on to see that it fitted, and more surprised at the sudden realization that she was entitled to it. She studied it under the glare of the single bulb, and then turned to her room. She was back a few seconds later with a small purse. I got a duplicate key. Yours is in there, she said thickly. And something else. I guess I was going to give it to you anyway. I was afraid someone else might find it. He cut her off brusquely, his eyes riveted on the security badge he'd been sure Trench had taken. Yeah, I know. Your meal ticket was in danger. Okay. Okay, you've done your nightly duty. Now get the hell out of my room, will you? The week went on mechanically while he gradually adjusted to the new angles of being illegal. The banks were open and deposits honored, as promised. But it was in the printing press script of legal currency, useful only through Mayor Gannett's trick exchanges. Water went up from 14 credits to 80 credits for a gallon of pure distilled. Other things were worse. Resentment flared, but the script was the only money available, and it still bound the people to the new regime. Supplies were scarce, salt and sugar almost unavailable. Earth had cut off all shipping until the affair was settled, and nobody in the Outlands would deal in script. He came home the third evening to find that Sheila had managed to find space for her bunk in his room, cut off by a heavy screen, and had closed the other room to save the rent. It led to some relaxation between them, and they began talking impersonally. Gordon watched for a sign that Trench had passed on his evidence of the murder of Murdoch, but there was none. The pressure of the beat took his mind from it. Looting had stepped up. Izzy had cooperated reluctantly until Gordon was able to convince him that it was the people who paid his salary. Then he nodded. It's a hell of a roundabout way of doing things, Governor. But if the geese pay for protection any old way, then they're going to get it. Hoodlums began moving elsewhere toward easier pickings. Gordon turned his entire pay over to Sheila. At current prices, it would barely keep them in food for a week. I told you you had a punched meal ticket, he said bitterly. We'll live, she answered him. I got a job today, barmaid on your beat, where being your wife helps. He could think of nothing to say to it, but after supper he went to Izzy's room to arrange for a raid on municipal territory. Such small raids were normally on the excuse of extending the boundaries, but actually they were out and out looting. He came back to find her cleaning up and shoved her away. Go to bed, you look beat. I'll sand these. She started to protest, then let him take over. They never made the looting raid, 
The next morning, they arrived at the precinct house to find them milling around the bulletin board, buzzing over an announcement there. Apparently, Chief Justice Arliss had broken with the Wayne administration, and the mimeographed form was a legal ruling that Wayne was no longer mayor. Since the charter had been voided, he was charged with inciting a riot, and a warrant had been issued for his arrest. Hendricks appeared finally. All right, men, he shouted. You all see it. We're going to arrest Wayne. By jingo, they can't say we ain't legal now. Every odd-numbered shield goes from every precinct, Gordon. Isaacs, you two been talking big about law and order. Here's a warrant. Take it and arrest Wayne. It took nearly an hour to get the plan settled, but finally they headed for the trucks that had been arriving. Most of them belonged to Nick the Croup, who had apparently decided the legals would win. Gordon and Izzy found the lead truck and led the way. They neared the bar where Sheila was working, and Bruce swore. She was running toward the center of the street, frantically trying to flag him down, and he barely managed to swerve around her. <laughs> Damned fool, he muttered. Izzy's pockmarked face soured for a second as he stared at Gordon. The princess. She sure is. The crew at the barricade had been alerted, and now began clearing it aside hastily while others kept up a covering fire against the few municipals. The trucks wheeled through, and Gordon dropped back to let scout trucks go ahead and pick off any rash enough to head for the call boxes. They couldn't prevent advance warning, but they could delay and minimize it. They were near the big municipal building when they came to the first real opposition, and it was obviously hastily assembled. The scouts took care of most of the trouble though a few shots pinged against the truck Gordon was driving. Rifles, Izzy commented in disgust. They'll ruin the dome yet. Why can't they stick to knives? He was studying a map of the big building, picking their best entrance. Ahead, trucks formed a sort of V formation as they reached the grounds around it and began bullying their way through the groups that were trying to organize a defense. Gordon found his way cleared and shot through, emerging behind the defense and driving at full speed toward the entrance Izzy pointed out. Cut speed. Left sharp, Izzy shouted. Now and there. They sliced into a small tunnel, scraping their sides where it was barely big enough for the truck. Then they reached a dead end, with just room for them to squeeze through the door of the truck and into an entrance marked with a big notice of privacy. There was a guard beside an elevator, but Izzy's knife took care of him. They ducked around the elevator, unsure of whether it could be remotely controlled, and up a narrow flight of stairs, down a hallway, and up another flight. A municipal corporal at the top grabbed for a warning whistle, but Gordon clipped him with a hasty rabbit punch and shoved him down the stairs. Then they were in front of an ornate door, with their weapons ready. Izzy yanked the door open and dropped flat behind it. Bullets from a submachine gun clipped out, peppering the entrance in the door, and ricocheting down the hall. The yammering stopped, finally, and Izzy stuck his head and one arm out with a snap of his knife. Gordon leaped in to see a municipal dropping the machine gun. There were about thirty cops inside, gathered around Mayor Wayne, 
with Trent standing at one side. The fools had obviously expected the machine gun to do all the work. Izzy leaped for the machine gun and yanked it from dead hands, while the cops slowly began raising their arms. Wayne sat petrified, staring unbelievingly, and Gordon drew out the warrant. Wayne, you're under arrest. Trench moved forward, his hands in the air, but with no mark of surprise or fear on his face. So the bad pennies turn up. You damned fools. You should have stuck. I had big plans for you, Gordon. I've still got them if you don't insist. His hands whipped down savagely toward his hips and came up sharply. Gordon spun and the gun leaped in his hands, while the submachine gun jerked forward and clicked on an empty chamber. Trench was tumbling forward to avoid the shot, but he twitched as a bullet creased his shoulder. Then he was upright, waving empty hands at them, with the thin smile of his face deepening. He'd had no guns. Gordon jerked around, but Wayne was already disappearing through a heavy door, and the cops were reaching for their guns. Gordon estimated the chances of escape and then leaped forward into their group. With Izzy at his side, seeking close quarters where guns wouldn't work. Gun butts, elbows, fists and clubs were pounding at him, while his own club lashed out savagely. In ten seconds things began to haze over, but his arms went on mechanically, seeking the most damage they could work. Then a heavy bellow sounded, and a seeming mountain of flesh thundered across the huge room. There was no shuffle to Mother Cory now. The huge legs pumped steadily, and the great arms were reaching out to flay aside clubs and knives. Men began spewing out of the brawl like straw from a thresher as the old man grabbed arms, legs, or whatever was handy. He had one cop in his left arm, using him as a flail against the others. The municipals broke, and at the first sign Mother Cory leaped forward, dropping his flail and gathering Izzy and Gordon under his arms. He hit the heavy door with his shoulder and crashed through without breaking stride. Stairs lay there, and he took them three at a time. He dropped them finally as they came to a side entrance. There was a sporadic firing going on there, and a knot of municipals were clustered around a few legals, busy with knives and clubs. Corey broke into a run again, driving straight into them and through, with Gordon and Izzy on his heels. The surprise element was enough to give them a few seconds. Then they were around a small side building, out of danger. Sheila was holding the door of a large three-wheeler open. They ducked into it while she grabbed the wheel. They edged forward until they could make out the shape of the fight going on. The legals had never quite reached the front of the building, obviously, and were now cut into sections. Corey tapped her shoulder, pointing out the route and she gunned the car. They were through too fast to draw fire from the busy groups of battle-crazed men, leaping across the square and into the first side street they could find. Then she slowed and headed for the main street back to legal territory. Lucky we found a good car to steal, Mother Cory wheezed. He was puffing now, mopping rivulets of perspiration from his face. I'm getting old, cobbers. Once I broke every strong man record on earth. Still stand, too. But not now, senile. You didn't have to come, Izzy said. When my own granddaughter comes crying for help, 
She finally admits she needs her old grandfather. Gordon was staring back at the straggling of trucks he could see beginning to break away. The raid was over and the legals had lost. Trench had tricked him. Izzy grunted suddenly. Governor, if you are right, and the plain geese pay my salary, who's paying me to start fighting over cops? Or is it maybe that somebody isn't being exactly honest with the scratch they lifted from the geese? We still have to eat, Gordon said bitterly. And to eat, we'll go on doing what we're told. End of chapter 13